don't think you understand <laughs> the like depth of difficulty I have right now. And that was my problem. I looked the same, sounded the same, mm-hmm. kind of was the same. And I'm like, you, I'm like, even if I tell people, they don't believe me, right? Which right. is really hard. You're listening to Now What, a podcast where we celebrate the human spirit by sharing stories of strength and resilience. For those going through hard times or looking to get inspired to change their own life, we're your hosts, Jen and Tisha. Hi, and welcome back to Now What. I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. Today, we're being joined by Allison Venditti. Hi, Allison. Hi. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Do you want to just start off and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Allison Venditti. I'm the founder of Moms at Work. We are a community education and advocacy group, and I mostly do career coaching and HR consulting. And I have now added, slapped the title of pay transparency advocate right onto the end of that, just so people know where I sit. <laughs> ah, I like that. That's I think awesome. especially now that's very important. Yep. I mean, has oh. always been, but yeah. And you had filled out an application to be on the show. Right. And we thought that your your story and your your perspective is important to share with people. And um, I think you even said in your application that like it's a topic that sometimes isn't always talked about. We don't talk about a lot of things. We don't talk about a lot of things. Let's just put that right out there. And that's why we're doing this. But I think especially, <laughs> and, and as our listeners will learn as you go through um, your story is it's kind of like one of those invisible things that people maybe can't see right off the hop. And I think that is part of the problem. I think, you know, when, when we can't see something, we, we just assume. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Don't talk about it. So with that said, I think if you want to take it away, cause I feel like moms at work correct me if I'm wrong, came about as a result of what had happened to you. It absolutely did. So we'll start at the end. I am in a better place in my life and I have incredible purpose because I had a brain injury, which I share my story as most people with traumatic brain injuries do not have the slide to success. So traumatic brain injury survivors have a very high divorce rate have a very high suicide rate, have a very high rate of all sorts of things. And I am not that person, but that has been now, oh my goodness, it's been like seven years since I was injured and mm-hmm. four and a half years since my recovery, as we say. So it's it's been a journey um, and it hasn't been an easy one. And that's the difficult part for me is on the outside, I look completely normal, right? People are like, you know, you and your company and your things. And I have a lot of struggles that I'm not particularly open in sharing because we either tell people like it's none of your business or like mm-hmm. you don't want people to treat you differently and they shouldn't. But also for a lot of things, I'm like, I need people to know. Um, so I'm happy to start at the beginning because, you know, no one thinks that they're going to get a brain injury at 33, right? That was not on my list of like to do things. So, no. um, <laughs> no. I think we're all sitting here as people who didn't think what happened to us would happen to us. Right. Exactly. And I was kind of, I'll start out by saying, you know, like my mom got breast cancer when I was 14. Like we've had a lot of death in our family. I kind of was like ready for those types of things, but no matter how hard I prepared my life, you know, we had wills, we had all the things like it just, it, it just nothing mattered. So to start, I 
was an HR professional. I, you know, did the things, went to university, started in HR, worked in healthcare, went into consulting, you know, had a kid or got married, had a kid, you know, like everything's bumping along. And uh, I had my first son when I was 30 and I had my second when I was 32. I, you know, everything's continuing to go well. And I was starting to, I was starting to hate my job. That happens post kids, right? You start to hate (laughs) your job because work treats women differently after they have children. So I had a lot of responsibility. And then when I came back, I had not much responsibility and I did return to work as a job. You know how delightful it is when you do return to work for a job and then people don't know how to treat you. Like, yeah, that was as you're returning to work yeah. <laughs> during my turn to return to work. I'm like, are you actually going to make me do my own return to work? Thank you. So that, that was fine. I was always having ideas, but you know, when you were in a job, what do you do next? And in January of oh 20, 2015, I was in bed. We were in bed in the morning. My three-year-old bounced over the bed, like three-year-olds do jumped up, flung himself backwards. And I got the back of his head in my face, which happens. Yeah. But yeah happens all like that can happen to anybody and let's put this out there before anybody freaks out and starts wearing you know like a helmet to bed uh I had eight concussions prior to this so I played competitive sports I was in a skiing accident I'd had a number of head injuries prior and kind of walked out mostly unscathed and this one for lack of a better term like this one hit different so I ended up with like left half of my face bruised and but with concussions like nobody does anything for them right like that's the standard so any of my concussions they're like yep concussion let's check for a brain bleed no brain bleed okay take some Tylenol rest walk it off shake it off you'll be good watch tv you know like well they always say they're like sleep but don't fall asleep like don't watch anything like it was it's so like they don't they don't actually know what they're doing especially family doctors no shade to family doctors on that stuff but they don't they're just not experts in it No, and they're not experts on anything. So it's like, I can go here or I can wait for a specialist. But I've been through this before. So I thought, okay, I'm feeling really gross. I have a head injury. I mean, I have a concussion, like really minimizes it. And I was fine. But I did everything that mothers usually do. I got my kids up. I was like, I feel kind of gross. I'm going to take my kids to daycare. Got to daycare. Daycare was like, oh my God, are you okay? Right? Like, because I wasn't making sense. I wasn't, you know, Um, And then I went home and I fell asleep and, you know, I usually with concussions, you get like two days, you walk it off. And finally, my husband was like, you got to go to the doctor, right? Like you're, you look like garbage. (laughs) It's not getting better. You got to go to the doctor. Yeah. And I said, okay, I went to the doctor and he told me I had a concussion and gave me a note from work and told me to go home and sleep. And I, so I did, but I didn't know where things were. I couldn't see properly. I was having all sorts of other things that you just kept dismissing. Cause I was like, they have to go away. Right. Like it's only, and you say this, it's only been two days. It's only been three days. Yeah. And, I've got to be patient with myself. Right. Well, you're healing, right? Like this healing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Nobody else seems concerned. I'm not concerned. And I had a knee appointment at Toronto rehab. Okay. This is the, this is, this is where it gets weird. And when you get an appointment with a specialist, you don't miss it. So I said to my husband, you got to help me get to this appointment. He was like, you want to go? I'm like, yes, I've been waiting six months for this appointment. We're going to get my knee checked out. And so I went to Toronto rehab and the doctor who just happened to be in the outpatient clinic was a neurophysiatrist. So brain specialist for physical aspects. And I walked into his office and he was like, looked at his paper and was like, so you're here for the knee, right? Are you here for your knee? And I was like, I'm here for my knee. And he was like, what happened to your face? I was like, oh no, I hit my head. Everything's good. Like, don't worry about it. So he did the knee thing. And he was like, do you mind if I like go get some tests and we can run some tests? 
And I was like, okay, like weirdo. And <laughs> sure enough, I failed all of them. So they have cognition tests of like, what time is it? What day is it? What, like, what street do you live on? I didn't get, like, I have my file now. I got none of them. And he had to use my intake form to call my husband because I didn't remember his phone number. Oh my God. Wow. So if we're talking about like level of ability here, it's like, it's slipping fast and it, yeah. it was like, okay. And then just kept getting worse. So he said, you know, I'd like to follow up with you. Let's give it a couple of days, but like, let's see how it goes. And I said, okay, you know, very annoyed that, you know, I have things to do and places to go and now I can't do anything. And the headaches were unreal. And probably three days later, I was on the couch and I woke up and I had peed myself and my mouth was filled with blood, which I know, and you know, meant I had a seizure, but I was like, I'm just not willing to accept that right now. And so like cleaned myself up and did that and just like, didn't mention it to anybody. And I had several more and did they ever happen around your kids? Yeah. So that weekend, uh, my husband was in the basement and he came up because he thought I was knocking on the floor and it was my head. So so my kids came up, he came up, kids freaked out, he freaked out and uh, it was really bad. So yeah. that fast tracked everything, right? Neurologist, MRIs, all the other things, every test. The good thing was that because I'd met uh, Dr. Liu there, I was able to call and be like, please help me. Like, I don't know what's happening, but now I'm having seizures and I don't want to die. Right. So uh, with brain injury recovery, though, is what I didn't know, even though I worked in disability management, is they can't really do any rehab until the seizures stop. So I spent about six months trying to get seizures under control. So during that time, I couldn't look at screens. I had permanent headaches. I didn't really know my way around my house. I didn't know how to use my phone. I like went to the convenience store across the street from my house and got lost. So they walked me home. Oh my goodness. And so my husband now has a full-time job hoping that like I don't get into the world. I can't pick up my kids from daycare. You lose your driver's license. You lose everything. And I can't, I bike everywhere. I can't take a bike because what if you have a seizure and fall into streetcar tracks and all of my cupboards like have labels on them because I don't remember where my forks are. And I don't remember where my plates are and I can't cook anything because I forget to turn the stove off and I'll burn the house down. So I wander around my house. I get accepted onto long-term disability. It's all, but it's taking forever. And every day I would just be like, it's got to get better. At some point this has to get better. Like this just can't like keep going. Like can't this. keep going on keep going like this. Right. And, yeah. and who's helping you with your kids at this point? No, it's just it's you and your husband. Yeah. Well, because this is the other thing when you're in that constant state of I'm going to be fine because the only thing you can do in those moments is I'm going to be fine. Like if this turns into a thing, we won't, I won't make it. And the depression and all that is very real. On top of that, people with traumatic brain injuries develop often, most people, incredible rage problems, right? So Mm -hmm. it's because it's, you damage your brain, I had uncontrolled rage. So it like, my husband takes no credit for the fact that like he held our family together during all of this, but I was very anxious about other people coming into our house. I was very scared that people were going to take my kids away right? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't be a mother. So I was very worried that I would be seen as an unfit mother that, you know, someone would find out about, I don't know what, mm-hmm. but you get very paranoid because you hear all sorts of things. Um, like I was doing nothing wrong, except I wasn't getting better. And so I told my husband, I'm like, you have to leave me. Like you just like take the kids, leave me. It'll be better. Like I'm just a drain on resources and whatever. He was like, okay, this is like, you're going to need to, 
you're going to need to stop. I'm not like, tone it down, tone it down there. But it was constant because I felt like such a failure as a human. Well, you couldn't do anything. anything. Forget even being a mom or your job. Like you couldn't even go to the store across the street. Right. Yeah. Or cook a meal for yourself. Like, so there was a lot of like attempts to do things and I just didn't tell anybody. So I just sort of fell off the face of the earth for a while. And like, when people talked to me on the phone, it was fine, but Berta would be like, she's in bed or, you know, whatever, like to be very fair, like my dad didn't know the extent of it. My mother-in-law didn't know the extent of it because I didn't want people to know. And I was belligerent in my effort that other people would like find out that I was useless and tell my husband to leave me and all like, you know, that was my concern. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but once the seizures figured themselves out. So I have a phenomenal neurologist um, who's the head of epilepsy at Toronto Western. And she, I've seen a lot of specialists in my life because of my mother or whatever. And, you know, like she sat with me for like an hour and a half and she's like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure the headaches out. We're going to do whatever, like we'll take, we'll do whatever it takes to help you get back to where you need to be. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> somebody <laughs> believes that I can get better. Yeah. Um, And, but by that point, my only job was going to appointments, MRIs, CT scans, sleep scans, seizure studies. And then of course, I'm like, I don't know if you've ever seen these things, like they make you do like multiple EEGs. So I can't go anywhere with my kids. I've got tubes off my head and going down my neck and my kids are freaked out and they won't come near me because I have snakes on my head. And I'm just like, I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. Like just all I want it is this for this to end. And I ended up getting, so for someone who worked in disability management, like getting accepted onto long-term disability, I broke down. I was like, they didn't even question putting me on long-term disability. The only people that get accepted onto long-term disability are if you have cancer, a really bad brain injury, or have like lost the use of limbs. And so they just sent me the letter. And that way I knew I'm like, I hadn't read my medical stuff yet. But you knew it was bad. But I was just like, I got the letter and my husband's like, that's a good thing. And I'm like, that's a terrible thing. It means I'm not going to get better and I'm going to be on long-term disability for the rest of my life. And that literally wasn't true. Um, but we just didn't know. This could be how I was going to be for the rest <laughs> of my life. Yeah. doesn't sound like very much fun. I did get accepted to the Acquired Brain Injury Program, which is, again, like not a place that anybody wants to end up with anyway, but the Community Care Access Center does it in your home. So I had people coming to my house every day, which thank you, Canadian medical care system. So I've gone through all these specialists, 75 screening things, whatever, I never saw a bill. Yay. Okay. So we're not worried about any of those things and the CCAC stuff all free too. So I had behavioral therapists, speech pathologists, occupational therapists. Um, but I had to relearn how to cook. I had to relearn how to use a phone. I had to relearn how to, you know, also, my left arm wasn't working because I have nerve damage from the hit. So it, there's my nerves compressed in my neck. And the only way to change that is surgery, surgery. which mm-hmm. they're like, and if we do the surgery, you could lose the use of like other things. I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to live with this. I'm going to be okay with that. It's going to yeah. be good. Um, so yeah, it was once I started getting into that, that it was like, yay, we can do these things. You can't do rehab when you're seizing because any sort of gains you lose potentially during a seizure. Right. Right. But what I found out and I already knew, and I'd never said out loud was I lost the ability to read, which 
I don't know if uh, anybody has not been able to read after I finished, you know, two degrees and worked in HR for all these years, but it is mm. something like next level. It's got to be petrifying. It's ridiculous. I could not imagine that. Yeah. I mean, I just depend, you just depend on it so much. Well, and they were like, okay, maybe it's an eye thing, right? So we went to see the visual therapist, the eye doctor, they're like, your eyes are fine. Then you go and they're like, maybe there's something else, you know, like missing. Maybe you have like, they go through all the physical reasons. And then you work with speech therapy because they have the connection. And it's actually more common than you think with brain injuries. You, a lot of people lose speech or the ability to form words, Mm -hmm. but reading is a learned behavior. So I had to relearn how to read. Wow. So my four-year, my four-year-old was also learning how to read. So it worked out well. So we read frog and toad books, which I hate, by the way. <laughs> Did you hate them before? Did you hate them before? I don't re- and so this is the other thing. I also lost long chunks of my memory. Wow. So 17 to like 24 is kind of gone. Like lots of pieces of my childhood are kind of gone, which is also very common. Mm-hmm. The seizures can cause permanent damage beyond the initial brain injury. It was right. kind of where I was told. It's like every time you have a seizure, you have a pretend, the potential to do these other things, which right. is nothing anybody wants to hear, but at least they're being honest with me. And, you know, as my friend said, she was like, the great part is she's like, you know, like you get upset about these things and you have a seizure and you don't remember why you're upset. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And I hate you uh, all at the same time. But it yeah. was, yeah. I was in rehab for um, 17 months. So it's like not a short thing, but like, that's all I did. I'm like, so my goals initially, like they make you, so goal setting is kind of the way that they move you forward. Like, and when I talk, I said, so I want to be able to pick up my kids from school. So Mm -hmm. A, to remember to pick up my kids at school and B, be able to show up and like hold their hand. And be on time and get there and not get lost on my way home. And I mean, there's so many steps involved in that when you break it down. Well, and be like competent enough that like the daycare workers are comfortable giving the kids to you. Right. And that's your sort of fear. I'm like, I can't be labeled that mother who's incompetent, right? Like I can't have that badge of shame put on me. So there was a lot of workarounds, right? So once we figured out things weren't going well, my dad got like up to speed. I, the problem was like, when, when you look fine, people don't understand, like they don't understand the extent of, or even like, unless someone sits and think about it, when you can't read, you can't read anything which my children have food allergies. So that means I can't read labels. That's horrifying, right? Like that's horrifying. So it was really important for me to make sure that like, so good thing my four-year-old was a quick study and learned to read really young. But so that was really helpful because then basically I had a mini dictionary near me. So I was like, oh, then, you know, we should practice reading the labels at the store. (laughs) Why don't you read this out loud to me? And I still have reading difficulty and my 10-year-old still reads to me. And that's just something that like I... Well, like I, I sit at about a grade six reading level. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where I'm at. That's how long it takes for recovery. And then you also have to decide how much time you're going to devote to like relearning to read and how much time you're going to devote to other things. Yeah. Cause you can't spend all your time learning, relearning to read. It takes a long time to learn how to read. Right. Like in the first place, it takes a long time. And it takes a long time to learn how to spell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a long time to learn. Um, English is terrible, by the way, to like to pronunciation. 
is hard and reading it and saying it is a whole different. So reading is one thing, reading and saying it is another thing. Um, Being able to read off cards and talk is another thing. So like all of these are different things you learn. So it's a combination of behavioral therapy and speech therapy, right? And Mm -hmm. occupational therapy, because they don't know if like you have mouth issues or whatever. So they're in there trying to make sure that like any sort of things are not, it's very ridiculous. There's so many people involved and like, these are, these people are the people you hang out with, by the way. Right. So you better like them. Yeah. Um, yeah. These are your new best friends. Yeah. <laughs> best friends, And they're, they're great. And I felt that the skills I developed as like a case manager and working in HR, whatever, like really helped me because I made sure that my husband and me, like I made sure something stick. Every time I had a doctor's appointment, I wanted the medical notes. It was like, it was almost an obsession because I know that they go missing or the, or when I show up to a specialist, I won't have the test results. So I have this file. It's like four inches thick, by the way, my like medical file. Um, so that nobody has to wait for a test result because I've waited so long to see this person that if I don't have it, it's not a complete picture. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, So I was like obsessed with taking these papers around with me. And as I got better and we kind of like tapered out rehab, then you have to sit and go, what am I going to do with my life? Right. So I'm on long-term disability. I'm completely like, I have abilities now, but I spent six years in school and 10 years working and And that's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. And so I was sitting here and my husband who is lovely, but was like, you know, it's okay if you can't ever work again. And something in my brain like exploded where I was like, no, I'm like, it's not okay for me to not do that. Like, that's part of who I am. And that's what I want. I'm like, I can't be that person. Mm -hmm. Now the goal has shifted, right? Has shifted to be a productive member of society, right? Like I would like to contribute in some way. So when my kids started school, I'm like, I, I have to have something more. So I said, okay, I called people I used to work with, explained to them what had happened and said, here's my limitations. Here's what I can do. What do you think? Like, would you work Mm -hmm. with me? Would you like, can I like contract do some like, and they're like, well, how many hours can you work? I'm like, not many, like maybe not at all. I don't even know. I'm like, can I just like volunteer? And they're like, (laughs) so my old boss was like, okay, look, um, he's like, I'd hire you even if you couldn't read. He's like, I'd hire you back. He's like, I think you'd probably be better than some of the people I had on staff right now. And I was like, okay, that makes me feel better. Um, He's like, but you have to figure out what you want to do. He's like, do you want to come back and do this for me? He's like, I'd give you the West Coast, right? So he'd moved on, does health and safety, whatever. He's like, I'd give you the West Coast to manage because like you can do that. I'm like, I don't think you understand (laughs) the like depth of difficulty I have right now. And that was my problem. I looked the same, sounded the same, Mm -hmm. kind of was the same. And I'm like, you I'm like, even if I tell people, they don't believe me, right? Which right. is really hard. Well, you come off as like somebody who was extremely driven and ambitious yeah. and like a force and you weren't not going to be able to do anything. Right. And so people probably thought that was still you. Well, and people still think that's me and I'm not going to be jumping up and down. And the, my, the thing I struggle with is now I'm like, A, at the beginning you hide it. There's no reason. You don't even know who you are anymore. I'm like, mm-hmm. am I a person with a disability now? Like, am I? And my husband's like, yes, many of them. He was like, what part of the brain injury thing did you not understand here? Right. And I was like, yeah, but am I really? He's like, but yeah. there's so much stigma, I think, around right. that label yeah. that as I'm trying to put myself in your position, 
you don't want to accept that label because of all the negative things that society says. Right. Well, and also it's like, I didn't even know who, I don't have a job. I spent Mm -hmm. the last two years not parenting my kids. Mm -hmm. I have lost most of the meaning of my life and I was like severely depressed. Right. So in all those moments, you're like, the hell am I here for? Like, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? So I had these moments. And the other thing about brain injuries is that like, I can't function for long periods of time. So now I also have complete noise issues. So like, I will never go to a concert again. I will never go to, like, I tried once and I went to see Lauren Hill and it was, she was amazing. And I was like, I can't do this. This is hell. This is hell. We had to move houses because we lived on Bathurst and I would sit there and cry in a ball at night because it was too loud. And my husband's like, I can't hear anything. And I'm like, I can, I can hear everything. I'm dying. I was like, I think we need to move. And I was like, no, we don't, we have to move. My husband was like, we need to sell our house. And I was like, yes, we need to sell our house. So we sold our house and moved so that I could get off of Bathurst street so that I could function. Right. Because it's like, be somewhere quieter. Yeah. And, but we couldn't leave Toronto because my kids were at sick kids. I had all my appointments downtown and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And my husband works downtown. He was like, so I'm like, we have to find someplace like quiet. That's also cheaper than where we (laughs) sell our stupid house. And it was just, and also then we had to move while I'm like in the middle of rehab and like all this other stuff. Super helpful with the move. Super helpful. But we did it and it was fine and uh, we went on. But it's, I guess it was sort of like the, in the most positive way, it's like, this is my opportunity to like reinvent myself and be okay with the person mm-hmm. I've become because mm-hmm. I went to a support group for people with brain injuries yeah, and it was yeah. awful. It was awful because I haven't even accepted myself. Now you're surrounded with other people who like have also not accepted their self. It was fun though, the, because like the lights were dimmed in the room. <laughs> Because everybody has like light sensitivity sensitivity. and also I wore earplugs for like two years. I wore them up until like last year. Mm -hmm. They're now marketing earplugs to like mothers and stuff. And I personally have found maybe it was always an issue, but it's much more pronounced now when it's really loud since um, Warren died. I can't. I can't. I think it's a trauma thing. I can't. Yeah, I can't. It is. Yeah. I also have a hard time with, with sounds. Yeah. And it's very like debilitating, like noise is very debilitating and like causes me, like if it's too noisy and like it's too much or if I overdo it. So I don't know if you've ever heard the like analogy for spoons. Have you ever heard this for people with disabilities? No. Which Which I never heard of. And then I heard it and I was like, this makes so many sense. So the idea is that like everybody has, you know, a number of spoons and people who have disabilities, you only have so many spoons available. So, you know, if you brush your teeth, you give, get one spoon. If you like go downstairs and have breakfast, you give up one spoon. So if you only have a limited number of spoons, you, um, you have to really decide how you want to spend your day. Mm-hmm. And you could get to noon and have used up all your spoons and then you're nothing. You can't do anything. Right. So mm-hmm. it becomes a real learning to save energy. And I moved from someone who was like everywhere and always. And I was the person who like did my job, volunteered, was on two boards, was on my daycare board, like organized all the mom events. Like that was me. And then it was like all gone. So trying to get back to that place and then constantly failing 
was Mm -hmm. like such a punch in the face. It was just like, I kept trying and I kept like bottoming out. And I was like, maybe this is what I am. But then I decided to start because I, I, someone, I met with someone who was um, like a career coach and I was like, okay. Right. Like, or I had to meet with someone who's a career coach during this process. Cause they were like, they really wanted me to get a job. LTD finally was like, you're not going to work again. Thanks so much. Like, here's your, here's your thing and uh, have at it. Cause like they try, they do assessments, but what you can do, <laughs> what you can do. And I was just like, and they're like, yeah, nothing. And I was like, thanks. That's uh, should I put that on my wall somewhere or how's that going to work? Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was nice. And you just reach a, like, I think, you know, when they talk about like hitting bottom, so I hit bottom and like, like dug myself a deeper hole so that I could get further than the bottom and just like laid in there for a while. <laughs> and yeah. then I was like, I can't sit with the label of the person who's going to be on long-term disability for the rest of my life. So I did something that as a disability advocate, I would never tell anybody to do. And I canceled my disability benefits. I said, I don't want these anymore. I don't need them anymore. I don't want you to call me anymore. I don't want anybody to show up in my house. And I fired my entire rehab team. I'm like, I'm done. I'm as far as I'm going to go. And this can't be my life where all I talk about is MRIs. And, you know, maybe I could get another reading level up there. I'm like, I don't need this. I need to spend time with my children. I need to have a life and I need to not worry about having to be home for my speech therapist right? Like you get to this point where you're looking at each other. Right. And I'm like, I don't want any of this anymore. So we did that, got rid of that. We went to New York on vacation, which like my husband planned or whatever. And it was still kind of awful because I was still, you know, (laughs) still had a brain injury. Um, but I was like, welcome to my new life. I'm like, I'm just going to try, just going to try. But as part of that process, I met with a career counselor, right? Like they made me with someone. I'm like, she's an idiot. Like she didn't ask me to like, what color, like she had all these tests and like all these other things. I'm like, this is stupid. I'm like, you haven't asked me anything about my life. You haven't asked me what considerations I would like, like about what I want to do or what difference I want to make. You haven't asked me anything about me. You're generalizing everything that I've done, which is no longer relevant. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, if this is what career coaching is, this is some bullshit. And I'm like, I think I could do this better and differently because I know a lot of people I've worked in most industries. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I know what things pay. I know where the jobs are. I know the people who are hiring, right? Like, because I just talk to everybody, right? I know everybody. I make friends in line with Starbucks. And, (laughs) and I said, you know what, this is something, if I only have one client a week, that might be perfect. Right. But that would be good. I like, even if someone paid me, that would be good. I could do that. At least I'd feel like I'm making difference. So I like, said to my husband, I was like, I've decided I'm going to like, try this thing. And he was like, okay. And I think I put it like East Toronto young moms, Facebook group. And I'm like, I am doing some free 30 minute sessions for career coaching. And if you'd like to try, I'd really like to see if this is something that I'm good at. And turns out I am. So, um, I'd already done some coaching stuff, which is kind of unfair, um, in HR. So, but I never really jived with it because coaching relies a lot on what do you think? How do you feel? Right. How do you, and I'm like, you know what, if we got an hour, like let's cut to the chase, right? Like everybody's, and I really focused on mothers and people who had felt like they didn't belong where they worked and didn't like, so it was the same story over and over. It was my story, right? Like it was my story. Like why, why am I not fitting in here? And 
I did. I had like two clients a week and it was working out really well. And I didn't have a lot of computer work because I would meet people in person and we worked together on things and, and it was good. And I had, it was bumping along. And then I picked up some HR work that required me because they gave me the other thing you get in rehab is you get all sorts of fancy tools. So I type with, I have voice recognition software for anybody who'd like to know about those things. Um, I have a phone that talks to me and I talk back to it and I can't use a lot of apps because they're actually not accessible. So I have run into a lot of weird problems because I'm not switching my voice recognition software. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. I know yeah. how to use it. I'm not switching it. So yeah. um, that's a thing. I have a writing pad that converts my writing into text. So what they found is that I can write. Um, I have a difficult time like it's hard to write when you talk. It's hard, right? Like it's hard to write like that. So I can write with a pen and then you click it and it turns into text. So that, because it's really hard for me to type because I don't have, I can't feel, I can't feel half my fingers. So typing is really weird too. Right. It's because I have no idea. Yeah. So I have that and that works out really well. And then I just have other things that will read back to me or condense things. But part of the practice with reading and writing though, is you really have to do it. Like you can't just talk to your computer all the time. That's the, becomes your default. And then you will lose the ability if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's really weird. And so it makes it hard to work at coffee shops. Mm -hmm. Makes it hard to work at coffee shops. Yeah. Cause you have to talk to your computer, right? Like you have to talk while you write. Oh, I see. Which is why I wanted the writing pad. Right. I was like, I really need something that I don't have to like talk out loud so that people can hear about like my angry feminism. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I can sit in Starbucks and I can work and no one has to listen to me talking to my computer. Right. That would be nice. Yeah. So the Starbucks near my house had something called the vault. So it was an old bank vault. So I would go in there and do that. And I was like, no, I feel like a normal human because I get my own space. And well, I have all sorts of things. I have like wrist things because my hands have nerve pain. I have like, I have like an entire filing cabinet full of like assistive devices that can do different things, glasses that change colors so that your eyes don't get strained using different things. Like they've tried everything. I have all the things like if they've made it, I've probably tried it and it's okay. So that got to the point where I was doing pretty well in business and I was doing pretty well and things were going well. And I got invited to a speaking event and it was at four 30 on a Wednesday. It was a women's event. And I was like, I'm sorry. Who, Are these people up? mothers? I was like, who's picking up your kids? Right. Like who is, how does that work? It was a terrible time. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I, I can't, I can't make it. Right. Like, so one of the things that like working for myself, my commitment was I'm like, I need to be able to be there for my kids. Now that I can be there, mm-hmm. I am fucking there, right? Like pick yeah. up whatever. I'm like, we need to make up a lot of lost time here. Yeah. yeah. So I said no. And then I like sat there and I was like, okay, hold on a second here, right? Like I was already discriminated against for being a mother at work. And I'm like, so now we're being discriminated against in women's groups. It's like, is this a joke? I'm like, so like, Mothers are like the bottom rung of like every level of employee that like does. And I was like, okay. So then I was like, you know what? I should find like a mother's, like a working mother's group, like, like about work. And I did. And I was like, ew, why are we talking about like body positivity? Like, what is this? I was like, this isn't work. This isn't like, like, this isn't helping me grow. And I was like, okay. So in a fit of rage, I like started, I went looking to start. I was like, I'll start a Facebook group. Cause that's easy. And I call, <laughs> and I call it moms at work. And I said, the whole point of this is because I look around, I'm like, 
I know all the directors at companies, managers at companies, all these things, they're all moms, right? But none of them know each other. And the other thing that moms groups loves to do is divide everybody. So they like to have an entrepreneur group. They like to have a corporate group. They like to have a stay-at-home mom group. I'm like, enough. I'm like, we're already like divided or whatever. I'm like, everybody comes together so that we develop this giant network. And at the beginning, we had like 60 of us. I also just wanted people to talk to because I didn't like my husband at that point because we've only seen each other for like three years. It was like a pre-COVID prelude. <laughs> um, and I just was like, I just can't be this person anymore. So it was nice. And for the longest time, it was like 300 people. And then it just morphed into this sort of like, I realized that all the things I knew, other people didn't know. So when mm-hmm. I started talking about pay transparency, people were like, so when I started with the group, I said, I'm like, you can't post in here unless you have a pay range. And people went wild. They were so angry. Like, oh my gosh, but then I can't post my jobs, whatever. I'm like, do you understand what this is? Like, you don't actually understand the reasoning behind like pay secrecy, right? It's like, so you can pay women and people of color less. That's less. what, yeah, that's the thing. And I was like, hold on. And I remember I did this po- Facebook poll. I'm like, who knows what pay transparency is and who knows why it exists? And it was like two people at 300. And I was like, we have a serious problem. And I did an Instagram post about it. And I'm like, hello, hi, let me tell you a few things about like what this works. And what I know as an HR person is we know the budget. When I put a job posting out, you got to be kidding me that you don't think we know how much money we have to spend on someone. That's the stupidest thing anybody can ever say. So right. that whole, like, we don't know, we're going to see what's on the market. I'm like, bullshit, right? I have hired thousands of people. We never don't know what we have. Yeah. It's a stupid line. Um, but then the more you talk about things, about other things, you realize people just don't know. So I was like, great. Now we're an education group, right? Like our goal is to educate and disseminate information so that people know what they're playing with. Um, but then I got pregnant. So, um, that was surprising. And also my neurologist was very unhappy with the fact that I was pregnant because this now gets complicated, right? Like, yeah, I was going to say like how that wasn't that, that was unplanned. <laughs> also, I was like, you know, like my kids you didn't know your husband that much. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, that was, um, it was just like, it was not ideal, but I was like, can I? Yes. And, and I was like, you know what? Everything up to this point has happened for a reason, right? Like I'm actually in a better place now than I was pre-head injury. I was like, I get to spend more time with my kids. I know who I am as a person now. I've kind of like mm-hmm. self-identified, like I'm okay with who I am now. Like, you know what? I'm 40 years old and my arm doesn't work and I can't read properly. I'm good with that. Cause you know what? I'm like, I have a lot of friends and I'm comfortable and my kids are happy. And I did all of the things that, so me and a friend of mine who I shall, shall not name because then she'll kill me. I'm like, every year we pick five things. These are the five things we're doing. And I was like, I'm getting my motorcycle license. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Or like, it's a terrible idea. Like for someone with a head injury to get a motorcycle. It's a terrible idea. It is a terrible idea. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I, I would like to like die knowing that I got my motorcycle license. I could do that. So I did. I don't motorcycle very much, but I like, but I have the ability. But to I, do can. That. I can, if I yeah. want to. So that just became important. I'm like, at this point, I've got nothing to lose. So people are like, how do you do this? And I'm like, because I spent two years of my life thinking I was going to die the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you seem like the kind of person that like, if somebody says you can't do it, you're going to do it. I'm going to prove you wrong. It's not even just like, well, uh, whatever. I'm not going to try. I don't feel like trying. It's like, no, I'm trying now because you said I can't. Yeah. I'm a 
fairly competitive. I am the most competitive person alive. Like I am just like, that is how I'm hardwired. And I saw a therapist who like specializes in dealing with families with people with brain injuries. And when I worked with her, the goal was to accept where you're at and be okay with that. And she was like, Mm -hmm. because you have a complete loss of identity. It's, Mm -hmm. she's like, it's like a death you know, and she's like, you've lost your mother, you've lost your father, like, you know what that feels like, you just, you have to rebuild, and I was like, yeah, but I'm still here, right, like, so I'm like, I don't really agree with that sentiment of, like, part of me died, because I'm still all here, so then I, then I realized, and, and, you know, she's, we are still in touch, of course we are, and she's very proud of me, and a little bit blown away by the whole thing, but you know what, I was like, I have seen people do all sorts of miraculous things, but the, the problem is it's like, for me is I get incredibly frustrated because you bump along, you know, like moms at work has done incredible shit, right? You get to meet with the prime minister. They ask yeah. us to EI committees, like we're the people like tap us in, right? Like, especially during the pandemic, I was like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah, and I was like, a whole thing, right? Well, it's a whole thing, but also like when the pandemic hit, what I knew to be true and what like Eve Rodsky, who I'm very lucky to call a friend, she wrote fair play about like the inequity of distribution um, of like housework basically and, and everything else, the mental load. Um, I was like, you know, what's going to happen. I'm like, it's going to take all the people who have never been impacted by this because they have help and they have whatever to like really get screwed over before anything changes. And then COVID hit and it happened. So every person who had daycare and school and, and every working couple, all the women saw women are leaving the workforce. I'm like, we are not leaving. We are being forced out. Like our hands are being forced so hard. We can't even like do anything about it because women are paid less. So if your partner makes 120,000 and you make 60, whose job are you giving up? Right. So I just like watched all this go down and very smugly was like, and I was like, oh yeah, now you're going to do a study about like how shitty this is. I'm like, there you go. And, but like we saw collectively that mothers were supposed to take it. Shut Mm -hmm. schools, why not? Shut daycares, why not? Shut whatever. I'm like, yeah, because you're going to be okay because I'm going to lose my damn mind. Yeah. Right. That, that was, that was the default plan. And I can never, ever, ever unsee that. And worse is, do you know who lost the most jobs? Women with little women kids. With ki- yeah, women with kids. Yeah, with little kids. First on the chopping block, women with little kids. Because the little kids are so demanding and they're not at school and they're not at daycare. And how are you supposed to work with a toddler on your lap and you're sitting in virtual meetings? Right. But that was so like- Now you're not being taken seriously. Right. Right? Or- also- They did layoffs under the guise of COVID. There are a lot of companies who did not need to lay people off. And, you know, I had so many members who were like, I just lost my job. I'm the only one in my department. And through Moms at Work, we found out all sorts of fun things that a company had laid off, like the pregnant women and women with small children from various departments. Wow. Nice. Under the guise of of COVID. Yeah, because it's COVID. So, so like, let's be like, we have to lay people off. So, yeah, we have to lay people off. Pick some people from your team. Like, maybe do it by seniority, maybe do it by whatever. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. we know this to be true. It's just it came out like guns a blazing. We're very, very lucky that the women in that group are spectacular. So, we have employment lawyers who are like, sign nothing, do nothing, 
say nothing like, and we'll fight for you. But I said, but it's, you know, when they're talking about how far back women are set, you know, like we always talk about, you know, gaps in your resume or whatever. I'm like, welcome to the two and a half million women who just got kicked out of the workforce. Yeah. Um, you know, have giant gaps on their resumes. So like, how are you, what I haven't seen is I'm like, how are you planning to help us? Right. Like, where's the, like, you know, they have a summer jobs benefit for like people under 30. I'm like, where's the one for mothers? Mothers. Who, yeah. Who have been like forced out of the workplace. Yeah. yeah. Whether so it's under the guise of the pandemic or just by like slowly yeah. taking their work away when they return. Oh, no. Because mothers are screwed by existing. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like yeah. you return to work and it's like you like you experienced, you have different responsibilities. They, they make it unfavorable. Right. That's it. So I have to watch it though, because I have now entered the place in my life where I'm happiest. I'm like, you know, like a pig in shit. I'm like, I get to talk about feminism. I get to, I get to use all my, like, I get to do all my HR stuff. We wrote a program for women going back from mat leave that I really struggled to put out because I was like, Oh, what if someone knows more stuff than me? What if someone calls me out that I'm not the person? And I'm very lucky to have a mentor who was, who has been in family like policy for years. And she was like, I know no one who is your equal. None. She's like, no is one knows. This you. Imposter syndrome. No, it's just no? me. No, I'm like, I, I, so let's not get into imposter syndrome because I'm like imposter syndrome disproportionately affects high-performing women. Yeah funny that they gave you a title to like make you feel bad about yourself and I'm like all it is is that like I have no context about what other people know how would I know what other people know unless I talk to all those I wouldn't but then I realized I have talked to all those people because I worked with all of them because you know how many return to work experts there are in Canada very few two of them just retired so that leaves me and like the three other guys I used to work with um and in terms of maternity and paternity leave I'm like you know the EI table asked me right? Like, because you have to do it, you have to live it, you have to like, so I'm lucky because I have all the experience. I have personal experience, HR experience, payroll experience, policy experience, and a group of 9,000 women who I'm constantly asking feedback for. Um, So I'm in a real strange position that I'm very lucky to be in. But everybody looks at me and they're like, look how productive you are, look how whatever you do. And I'm like, and I have to watch it because as Jen knows, I'm like, I try and I'm trying now. Everybody's very excited about moms at work. I love it. I love that they're there and they're happy to be there Mm -hmm. and that they're feeling heard and doing whatever, but I am one person, right? I am one person with three kids under the age of 10 and a husband with health problems and my own. And I find found myself apologizing repeatedly for not being the person that people needed me to be. And Jen can test this too, but I'm like, social media sucks. People are <laughs> mean, like yeah. mean, you know, I was just like, and it, and it gives you pause. You're like, why am I doing this for strangers? Right? Like, why am I doing this and yeah. being yelled at and getting people getting like, and like private Facebook message me. I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know you. Right. Um, you haven't answered my thing. You haven't done this. I'm like, it's a Facebook group you know, like it exists for a purpose, but I'm like, I'm not on call, right? Like I have a job. So it got really tense, especially during the pandemic because I was not coping well. I'm not sure how you two did during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, a lot of people weren't coping well. <laughs> and what that turned into was like everybody, like requiring everybody to be nice in that group and think like it was hard for people. 
And for a long time, I had a lot of empathy and I was like, you're clearly struggling. And then I was like, but so am I. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can't put on that lens and be that person. I'm like, I will never drop to that level where I like, but I can put up boundaries. Mm -hmm. I can put up. I was just going to say that. Right. So I did and I have to, um, but I was saying like, as Jen knows, I'm like, so I don't have much use of my left arm. Um, I can't feel the left half of my arm because it's my like ulnar nerve. So it's like, once it's crushed, it just doesn't work anymore. And then my right arm stopped working. I was like, I just can't do this. Can't, I can't like, I've already done this dance once I can't do this. So my neurologist who has like a 14 month wait list, whatever I called, you know, her assistant, I'm like, hi, hi. <laughs> it's like, she's like, yeah. hi, how are you? I'm like, this is how, you know, you're that person when you're like on first name terms with your like neurologist assistant, which is a really good idea, by the way, if you have a neurologist to be. <laughs> I mean, anybody who has an assistant, you want to be on a first name basis. Oh, yeah. with you want to be assistant. on that person's good page. Um, and I was like, my arm's not working. I'm freaking out. If I can like, what happens if I don't have use of either arm? Like what happens then? Right. Like they're still there. Mm-hmm. What happens? And she's like, okay, let's look at it. So I've had nerve conductive testing. And she was like, it's nerve damage. Right. Like, and these are things that like five years ago, they're like, they, they have a list of things that could potentially happen or, or things, whatever. And you ignore that list with everything in your being, because right. I'm like, I can't go there. I can't mm-hmm. go there with you. Let's not think about the what ifs. Let's just like rip up the list and, and hold on. Um, but the good thing is I'm like, so yeah, I have to do physical therapy like three or four times a week now, just to make sure that it keeps going. And that sort of nerve stuff causes carpal tunnel syndrome, which then causes tenant. Like it's like, it's just, it's just like your like whole body it. just hates itself. So I'm just, but my arm jerks like involuntarily and, and does weird things, or it won't like, if someone goes to shake a hand, it just won't go. And so there's been a couple of times where people are like, what's wrong with your arm? And I'm like, I can't do this. Like in front of my kids, in front of my, whatever, I'm like, I don't want to do this with you stranger who I don't know right now. Um, and you can't politely tell someone to fuck off except you can with your eyes, right? This one. (laughs) Um, so I was like, I'm not going to do this to myself. I'm just going to tell people because shockingly now, like I run into a lot of people, right. From the group, from people I know in the neighborhood, whatever. And I'm like, I, and I had that conversation three times in a week. And I was like, this is becoming very uncomfortable. It's like, if you shaved your head and people like everybody has to comment on anything. And I was like, I don't want to be here because my kids are already kind of like, they've been through this whole thing. They saw the seizures. They get worried. My arm's not working. I'm like, I can't do this to my family. So that's what I put out there. That's all it is. And my neurologist, she's like, you have to slow down. I know that you don't want to. She was like, but this is your body telling you. You have to slow down. To slow down. Yeah. Yeah. And as I was listening to your story, there really was this moment that really sort of struck me which is when you were talking about like saying, I can't live for these appointments anymore. I want to be able to move on with my life. I want to enjoy my life. I want to spend time with my kids and my family. And you found a way to do that. And is it worth putting all of that in jeopardy? Because it sounds like you kind of had this period of like refocusing on your values and saying, you know what, like, I'm figuring out who I am and part of who I am is wanting to be with my family. So if the the social media and the work is like taking away from that and putting your health in jeopardy, then you have to put those boundaries in place. 
right? Like, and I think, I just think we're not that good at doing that. Oh, and I am the worst at doing that because I really <laughs> want to help people. I really want to like, yes. but when you get that, then you get, then you're not helping anybody if you're not helping if yourself. You're not, right. Right. But it's hard to, as women, whether it's like conditioning or what, it's hard. It's like impossible to help ourselves. Well, I like, so the first thing I did the first time I talked about my hitting, cause I didn't talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to, you know, like I knew other people who had headed. I'm like, I don't want to be in the head injury groups or talk. Like, I just need to like, not do this. Right. Like mm-hmm. I just need to not be here. And, but I hadn't written in a very long time and I'm a good writer. I, I, or at least I thought I was. And I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to write blog posts. And if nobody reads them, it'll be fine. And if someone reads it, it'll be great. And if not, it'll be fine. But also it will help me like solidify why I'm here and what I went through. And I did, and I wrote a blog post called, and then it hit me about like my experience and that, you know, it was a reminder. I'm like, I have to reflect on the fact that like the thing that, so most people, when they get like a seizure disorder or whatever, like their breaking point I'm told is when like, take your license away because it's a real separation of like a lot of people need their cars to get to work and do whatever. I never drove. So it didn't hit me hard. Right. It can be such a part of your independence. I think. Yeah. Loss of freedom. Loss of freedom. And for me, so I knew this, my neurologist said, so usually when they have those types of conversations, they'll bring in someone else to be there, right? Like, because people get very upset and very angry or whatever. And I remember being in my neurologist's office and one of the first things, and she brought in an intern and I was like, and she was like, you cannot cannot pick up your children. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, you cannot pick up your children. You might drop them and hurt them and you will be seizing and you can't help them. And a part of me died. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, if you need to hold your children, you need to sit down. And I was like, that's it. That's it. Kill me. I don't want to do this right now. Like, how am I supposed to do that? I have a three and a one-year-old. How are you not supposed to pick up your children? That's what, that's what moms do. That's That's like a a huge part of your day. Actually, when you have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Nope. And I was like that. And I said that I'm like, that was the driver's license moment, wasn't it? And she was like, that was the driver's license moment. And she's like, I'm so sorry, but she's like, you can't. And I said, she's like, once we get this sorted out, we will get it sorted out until then you can't. And I was like, and I had a list of like, if you're walking with your kids, they have to be on the inside of the sidewalk. If you're like out, you know, she's like, you really shouldn't be out by yourself with them in case something happens because they're so little. And like, so then you have all of these parameters and I'm like, then what am I like? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing Mm. this? Like, I'm, I'm not even able to do this. Right. I was like, you know, I, I remember it was like almost Halloween. I'm like, I can't take them trick-or-treating. And she was like, that would be very upsetting if they had to then deal with that. I was like, okay, cool, cool. So how did you work through all that? I think it's, um, I think just the hope that like, you, it will, in my head, I was like either, so to be very honest, I'm like, I had this plan. I'm like, if I, this is not anything. I'm like, I will kill myself. That's the like, Mm -hmm. no, I can, I can imagine that that would be something. It's an inevitable thing to think about. Right. But for me, I was like, the good thing is like, I had a behavioral therapy team who was like, 
you need to tell us like if yeah. this gets real and I'm like but then you have your kids run by and you're like I can't do that but I was like I but I couldn't do this to my husband and my kids I was like I am not only am I like useless but I am a liability I can I, I if something happened to my kids because I had a seizure and they got hit by a car oh right like how do you how do you do that so I was like this isn't working for anybody but the once the seizures became under control, then it like the safety factor backs up. Like once the medication works, then you're like, okay, all right. Like things are moving along here, but like, I still don't like streetcar tracks, right. For that exact reason. Right. I'm right. like, mm, mm, nope. Like that's not going to work there. And I walk very close to the inside of the sidewalk just in case. Right. Like yeah. very close to a building just in case. Yeah. Um, and I don't like going places without sidewalks. When was the last time you had a seizure? Oh, it's been years. But it's still there. The fear is still there. It is, right? Like, yeah. and, and the fear of anytime you get, uh, it's similar to like someone passing away. Like, so my mom, like, you know, some people have smells or they have sounds or they have whatever. So it's the same sort of thing. Like, if I don't remember where I put my keys, it's so upsetting. It's like, mm-hmm. Which is all the time, by the way, right? Because I, I never remember where I put my keys. I never remember where I put my keys. But it it hits you in waves. Yeah. Where you're like, okay, I'm not. This this reminds me of this thing I was doing, right? Like I hate my couch. Yeah. I used to have to lie on the couch because I couldn't get up the stairs and whatever. And now I'm like, ah, I don't like sitting on this couch because it just reminds me. And yeah. and that sort of stuff happens. But my kids are so much older now. And it feels less on me. Like when your kids are really little, you feel so much more responsible. And now I don't have those same constraints because they're like, my big ones are 10 and eight. Um, and they're just so much mm-hmm. more independent that I, there's a lot less, um, there's a lot less me involved. Yeah. Right. So as, as that happens, I feel like there's more space for me to you know what? And it was a grieving process. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. I was like, you were grieving all of these things that you had been able to do before and the person you had been, you know? And I think like, it kind of makes sense. I forget if it was a doctor or somebody who said it was like a death that to, to equate that to grief. But I think it also, when people do that, it um, takes away from the fact that we can be grieving something that's not dead or gone. Like that way, you know, so there's, um, um, like Rochelle runs being here human and they talk about grief, but not grief in the typical sense, like, uh, mm-hmm. because people, people have a very specific process for grief, like it's society, right? Like it's typically quite, but the, the terminology is religious in nature, like only immediate family members are allowed to grieve. Like there's all these prescribed things where like grief hits you in all different points of life when you, when you lose a friend, right? Like. I'm sorry, but like, if my best friend passed away versus like one of my cousins, like we would have a different conversation because like this person is the key person in my life. Um, But you're not afforded that level of involvement because the relationship is different, but people can grieve all sorts of things. Like, you know, when, Mm -hmm. you know, even life experiences and you can grieve the loss of a relationship or you can grieve a loss of what, but there's this sort of like, you know, get back in their attitude. And I was like, that is not okay. And, but even after a major loss as well, yeah, there's yeah. that oh, get oh, back God. in there. Yeah. My, and there's judgment. Like my mom passed away and my dad started dating 
not long after. And it took me a really long time. Like my sister was 17, right? Like I was 24, 17. And, and like watching the judgment that comes from other people and the things that you choose to do with your grief is just like so insulting, right? That, that you would profess to have any, like why, A, why do you have any interest in like what my grief <laughs> is like? Right. And B, who are you again? Like, who were you and where were you during all of this? Like, so there's a lot of, uh, like a lot of anger around that. And, you know, and people will say things to me like, oh, is that still a problem for you? Or my best one, are you better now? <sighs> oh, I heard you had a thing. Are you better now? I'm like, yeah, I'm better now. You, right? Like, are you serious? Like, how do you say that to someone? And I think it's just a very, like, everybody just wants you to get better and get back to normal. Right. Yeah. Yes. They, they want to, it's like, we have these invisible running lists in our brain of the things we need to do, yeah. um, like need to do it air quotes, because like, you don't need to do them if it's on this list and you're looking to check them off, like knowing that Allison is better. So I don't have to worry, you know, if she still needs support, it, it is, it's insulting. Yeah. But also I'm like, why does that matter? Yeah. Like, what if I, and what if I said, no, I wasn't. Then what? Then what comes then next? Conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. Do you you don't actually want an a real answer? No, you don't. <laughs> so like, it's um yeah, it's like weird. And I've had people say to me like, so I filled out a thing. I I was doing um like a feedback thing, and someone said to me, an executive at a company actually, she's like, well, you don't look disabled. You can't say that. <sighs> you can't say that. Well, I'm also like, you're an asshole. Like, yeah. And I was like, is there something I should be doing to look more like that? I'm um, like, because you can't see me from the neck down. So that's stupid. Like, um, what exactly would that look like I'm to you? Sure. I'm not sure. But like, there is. Because all disabled people like look the same, right? I like it just, it doesn't make any sense. I know. Someone could... So much. But people are so ignorant. They well, are I'm I'm mad for found, you. I've also found this is the fun thing. I've also found that because I look quite uh, normal, um, that I'm invited to more things about disability because people are more comfortable with that. Ah, uh, I, I so can you totally make people feel more at ease talking about it because you don't look disabled. Right. Yeah. Whatever looking disabled is but, supposed well, to be. Well, and that's the whole thing. And then, like, what do people with disabilities look like? I mean. They look different. different. Everybody looks different. Everybody looks different. I mean, every human looks different. It's yeah. Like, like, it's, it's very strange. It's, it's a very strange thing that I was like, right, you want me there to check a box. Right. And, but I'm still fairly normal and I'm also white and I'm also like, so I like, I feel these other things. So it's like, so there's a comfort level of it, but now you've like checked your box that you need it. And I was like, I don't want to be a box. I'm like, I don't want to be locked. So I was I like, think, it's weird. Yeah, People think of, I think disabilities as like, you've got to be in a wheelchair or you've got to have a cane or you've got to have a service dog. Like, <laughs> which is so limiting and not really reflective at all of what people with disabilities are. Right. And, and I'm, I'm in the position where I'm like, you know, I can hide as much as I want. Right? It's like, almost an invisible, like yeah. they call it an invisible disability, right? right? Like 
people can't see it, but that doesn't make it any less real. But I had a thing where like pre-COVID, they wanted me on a stage with panel. I'm like, I can't do that. The lights, the lights, I can't do that because of the lights. And they were like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, it'll be fine. I was like, I can't with the lights because then I will like have like the most blinding headache and I can't. And also like how many people are going to be at this thing? And they were like, well, you know, 500. I'm like, I can't do that. Oh, and I was like, there- like the noise. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, no, like that's horrible. That whole thing is horrible. It'll be horrible. And cause I tried once for a friend at her thing and it was horrible. I hated it. It was everything horrible. And so I said, you know, but I'm sure there's other things we could do. Do you mind if I like, you know, wear ear and they were like, well, you really need to wear an earpiece. I'm like, Okay, I'm asking for accommodations. I'm like, as someone mm-hmm. who like did accommodations for years, I'm like, you actually have to do that. And they're like, well, maybe this just won't work then. Wow. I was like, cool. Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. All right. So I know where we stand. Yeah. Wow. And, and and that's like not but is it okay. Do you think that because they can't see your disability, that they think you are exaggerating or making it up or being so it's kind of like because my kids have food allergies right like anaphylactic ended up in the ICU food allergies it's the same thing with like because there's lots of people who are like well I have a a sensitivity I have a whatever I'm like that's not a food allergy don't call it a food allergy because you're making me really fucking angry um so that when you then show up to the restaurant and like my, my son's allergic to eggs and they're like, yeah, okay, another one. Right. And I'm like, no, no, not another one. It's like, not actually that thing, but you need to take this seriously. I, I'm like, I felt the same way. It's just, but it's also like, it takes a lot of effort to accommodate people. Mm-hmm. It takes effort. And some people are just not willing to put in the effort. And that's the, that's the hardest part for me. And I'm yeah. like, you ask so much of me. Well, when I ask you for a thing, you say, sorry, can't do it. You right. can't give that. So I'm like, I just have to be like, I'm like, this isn't my space then. If that can't be a thing, then you've just answered my question for me. I don't want to be a part of this. That's pretty easy. So it's just about like constantly testing your boundaries about what you're willing to do and what you're not and what I'm willing to walk away from. And I'm not, which is a lot of things turns out and the things that I'm not willing to unsee. So if someone says something about me and the way like, anything. I'm like, I'm no longer 22 and embarrassed to say something. I will call that shit out and be like, I am no longer interested in this. That is not for me. Thank you very much. I like, I only have so much time on this planet and that hour cannot be spent with you. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so it. that's my, that's my, You're like, trying to be more purposeful with your, yeah. with your time yeah. and your energy. Like you were talking about the spoons. You've got to think about how you use those spoons. Right. And you're going to use one to it's going to make you miserable. Yeah. Right. Here's something. It's like, people don't like it when women say no. Not at all. We're not supposed to say no. Right. But even other women don't, don't like it. No. So yeah. I because got, they asked, don't say no. Yeah. I got <laughs> asked to do this other woman. I shouldn't say this because I'm on this podcast. Um, but I agreed with this one time before, but she was like, she's asked me a couple of times. I'm like, I really don't have the space right now. Right. Like I don't have the space or whatever. And she gave me a one line response. It was like, well, maybe when my audience gets bigger, you'll have space for me. And I emailed back and I was like, listen, I was like, my aunt is dying. And I was like, my dad is on a plane to Vancouver. And I was like, I don't really need to explain myself to you, but it has nothing to do with your audience size. 
But I'm like, the fact that someone felt compelled to ask me to do something for free and then give me a bitchy response, I'm like, I'm not cool with that at all. So I will never have the space and time. And now I do not have the space and time. I'm like, watch it. Right. (laughs) So people are pretty quick off the gun with emails. And I'm like, I have no space for that. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's so interesting, you know, in terms of just saying no, that we feel as though we have to explain those things. Right. Well, that's what I got pissed off after about. I'm like, why did I just waste like 30 seconds of my life responding to her stupid response? I'm like, now I can't do this. I'm like, and I'm like, now I'm the, and now I'm the person. I'm like, I should have just deleted it and remembered it and never spoke of it again. Right. 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 But that's just, that's what we do. Right. We're like, no, it's, it's not that. And I don't want you to think that. And, And we decline invitations or whatever. We always like make an excuse. Blame it. It always has to be like, I'm sorry, I can't come because blah, 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 blah. And I know myself, especially in my younger years, like I would make up something to get out of, like, in order to say no, I would make up an excuse. Like I already have plans, but I'd be lying because I just didn't know how to say no, but I also wanted to protect myself and my time. Well, you saw this on steroids during COVID. Like, remember during school shutdowns and people are like, are you sending your kids back to school? Are you sending your kids back to school? Are you whatever? And like, I would be walking with a friend because we do these like opposite ways. And she's like, I, I'm th- like, I just wanted to let you know that I'm doing it. I'm like, you do not need to explain yourself to me. No, these are your kids. This is a pandemic. You need to stop. And I, I ended up having to write an Instagram post because I could see people. It's so heavy on them. Am I making the right choice? And I'm like, you are, you're making the right choice for you, but look how programmed you are to explain yourself to complete strangers. Yeah. And my husband, um, sometimes will be like, you don't have to explain yourself. Right. Like, why are you explaining yourself? I'm like, cause that's, that's what women do. Right. Yeah. Because interactions that include women end up being very divisive. Yes. Not always, but you know what I like. But you've spent your whole life having to explain it. Like the yeah. expectation is that you provide an explanation. Yeah, yes. it is. Right? Yes. So is. if you just say no, oftentimes people will dismiss you, ignore that no, as we can see with the multiple sexual assaults that happen on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, women are completely ignored, gaslit into thinking that like you didn't disagree with something or a, an explanation is demanded. Well, why? Right? How many times have you said no? And then they say, well, why? When you're younger, because that's a very common thing yeah. with you, right? I'm like, totally. Like I, I asked for an explanation from a friend last week. I invited her to something and she's like, I can't. And I was like, Why? This is a fun thing because yeah. <laughs> to me it was, yeah. and, and it was just not like, it wasn't for her. And, and now I'm like kicking myself. I'm like, I totally just did that. I did that to someone and I'm sure I've done it to some people oh, yeah. at some point or my line now is no, is a complete sentence. Yes. Oh, it is. <laughs> right. Not, it not is. to my six year old, but no, yeah. like that, obviously like children are <laughs> exempt from this, this rule. 
they but shouldn't for everybody be. else. They shouldn't be. <laughs> that's my next thing I'm writing. No is a complete sentence. And it is. It is. And it, it is. takes a lot of, you know, even advocating for everything that I need. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. No. Yeah. Do you, I can't you, do that or I won't do that or I'm not willing to do that. I don't want no, to do that. It doesn't work I mean, for me. It's okay to not want to do things, first of all. Right. Um, do you find that uh, you have much firmer boundaries than you did yes. before? Okay. I have to. And I'm like, because. Totally. And the other thing is that like, you know, I always say this, I'm like, moms at work wasn't supposed to be a big group. That was never the plan. I'm like, I planned to have 300 people and we were just going to hang out and have drinks. It was going to be in Toronto and it was going to be super fun. And, and, and you know what, it started growing. And then the pandemic hit and I felt really, really guilty to deny people space that they needed, that they needed. Right. Yeah. Right? Like really, really. And I was like, I don't want to let people in. I don't want, I was like, and then I was getting these Facebook messages, please. I lost my job. I don't know what to do. Someone told me that this is a safe space where I can ask questions and I really need this. I don't know what to do. I'm like, what are you supposed to say to that? Right. Yeah. You can't say no yeah. to that, not during right. a pandemic. And so I was like, fine. And now we have 9,000 people. I don't even know how that happened. And, and I was like, Ugh. like, I didn't sign up to moderate and check in all the time. I mean, I that's a lot of people. A lot yeah. of people. Moderate. moderate. It is. So I was like, so it, it's, it's become a struggle for me to set boundaries there. It's a struggle for me to set boundaries on social media because I want everybody to be okay. That's who I am inherently. I'm like, I need everybody to be nice to each other. And I want everybody to be okay. And I want to make sure they're getting the support that they need. Um, but I'm tired. Well, yeah. And, yeah. and your body's telling you that you're tired. Right. So that's my, my husband. He was like, you have a choice. Either you deal with this or you don't. And then you won't be able to deal with anything. Right. So pick. And I was like, stop being correct. Like, so what are some of the boundaries now that you're putting in place for yourself? Um, so I have to take frequent breaks all the time, like during the day, frequent breaks, get up, mm-hmm. move, like not just like as a nice to do or like a reminder thing. I need like some sort of like shotgun or like, you know, cattle prod to like get me out of my desk to turn off. I have a very hard time, like moving from one space to another without like leaving things behind. Cause that's how my like brain is hardwired, but mostly it's boundaries around, like, I want to spend a lot of time around people. So I'm not good at creating time for myself. And that has been a struggle for me because it's really important for healing and for my brain to like have time by myself. But I, as a person, I don't want to. So mm-hmm. it's, it, that's a struggle. And then just realizing that I don't have to be everything to everybody. Yeah. So you have to pick the things that you're doing and you have to say no to other things. Mm-hmm. That's just, been you have to be deliberate. You have to be purposeful. Um, I just wonder, do you um, have any limits in terms of like time, like that you're not going to respond to social media after a certain time or certain days or that type of thing, because you are maintaining this enormous group. Yeah. And I'm lucky. I have like people like moderate. And sometimes I'm like, so I ended up having to, like I said, I'm like, I need to hire help. Even if I need like make less money or do whatever. I'm like, I, it takes me a really long time to do things. Right. It just in general, it takes me a long time to do things. And I was and like, when someone, you have limited resources of time. Right. So I have to decide I'm like what I want to be spending my time doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to learn new things, which is another fun part about entrepreneurship is you just have to learn all the things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Yeah. So I only, I only actually, people are going to hate me for this. I'm like, I only work like nine 30 to one Monday to Thursday, because that's all I can really do. That's what my ability is. And then what I'll do is I'll like go off and come back on at like four o'clock for a little bit. And then I'll like check in before bed just to like break it up. But mm-hmm. that's kind of my max. Otherwise, like I worked longer than that today. It was a total mistake. I had to lie down for two hours. Like there's no like, oh, I overdid it, whatever. It's like, oh my God, my eyes not, is not working and my brain feels like it's on fire. Now I have to like lie in a dark room. And that's not fair for my husband because I'm like, I didn't self-manage. Now he's got to get stuck with the kids for two hours because I got to do all the things. Yeah. So it's like that negatively impacts everybody else around me. And I just can't do that to them. Yeah. No, I think that's, I mean, I think it sounds great. I know you're like, everyone's going to hate me for this, but I think it's admirable that you're working to your ability and that's all, you know, you can ask of yourself. And you were able to create something right. that you, fit within yeah, those I mean, parameters. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. We all have different abilities though. That's the thing. Like yeah. of when we can be most productive at work and why we can, it's unfortunate that we can't recognize that in everyone because then that doesn't need to be a differentiator of somebody's, you know, like, it's just like, just sitting and listening to it. It's like, well, yeah, like certain people are only good. Like I'm only good in the morning, right. you know, mm-hmm. for in, well, probably in that window that you work, that's the only time that I'm any good. Right. Oh, well, that's, that's the only time I'm any good too, but I don't have like a reason yeah. for that. Right. Nope. So it's just, it's really interesting. Well, and also everybody's been forced to conform to a regular workday or like to shift. Like, so, so people are like, oh, I'll fit into this. And I'm like, nobody does. Nobody works for eight hours a day straight. Well, nobody does. So that's why there's these pushes for four day work weeks and people want part-time. And I'm like, I don't want part-time because I do whatever. It's like, I get really tired. I'm old, right? Like I'm, (laughs) it's like, but this ability to work in pockets of time that suit um, you that suit you and that work right so I don't know how many hours you're actually putting in but just the idea that you're working when you can you know you're working till 1 30 yep. and then you're taking a break and doing a little bit more at four and then checking in before bed well and also like I have kids right like so maybe <laughs> like I legitimately am working right but it's just like the level of focus that it requires to do writing or do other things is is incredibly different um mm-hmm. than it is to do other things but that's like and probably exhausting the and also the taking care of kids is work too so you probably are doing more than eight hours I have an incredibly equitable relationship with my partner now because you have to, you have to right yeah. yeah so I uh someone said to me you know like oh what do you women love to do this what are you guys having for dinner I was like I don't know my husband makes dinner every night Ooh, me too. That's Tisha. <laughs> and it is, this is a whole thing I could go off about sometimes because it drives me nuts. Because then when I say my husband does the cooking, it's all like, oh, I wish someone did the cooking for me. Oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, when have you ever said that to a man? Your wife makes it every night. Oh, you're so lucky. Yep. It's not luck. This is just how we divide our labor. It's not common though that the husband does the cooking. It's not common. I'm a terrible, like terrible. Like I'm that (laughs) person who like burns grilled cheese. Yeah. It's like scrape off the burn. Yeah. No, 
Yeah. So let's just do everybody a favor and not do that to people. Um, by the way, people would say that to my husband, that he was lucky to have me cook for him every night. And yes, never- maybe because you're quite a cook, but it's very, very no, it's not normal. common that anybody in the staff room at work would ever say that to a man. Now I'm going to flip it just especially because in my situation just the idea of having anyone else cook for you is sounds like an amazing luxury (laughs) so it's not I also am not a cook and and there was always this thing growing up where my mother and my grandmother would be like what are you gonna do when you're married what are you gonna do when you have kids and I used to say I'm gonna marry someone who can cook like oh good luck with that well I did it yep you did Dead. You know, and that like isn't the only reason I married him, obviously. <laughs> but he likes to cook. It's pretty, right? it's pretty up there. It's like on the top three three reasons. So like, if you like to eat, <laughs> then it should be. Um, in being conscious of respecting boundaries and your capacity, Allison. Um, yes. I feel like we should wrap this up because we should. Great. Me too. I would like to know what would you hope that somebody could like walk away from having heard your story and a, a nugget that you would hope that they would walk away with that could maybe improve their life or give them a different perspective. That when you see a person, you don't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. You don't know what their struggle is. You don't know what happened to them last night. You don't know their past. You don't know their history. So be kind all the time because you don't know what someone else has been through. Yep. Mm-hmm. really good one love it yeah thank you thank you so so much thanks for listening to now what if you've enjoyed this episode leave us a review your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it until next time remember your hard times are the chance to write another chapter